the heart cry for holiness. The heart cry for holiness. Almighty God, stir, stir, stir in our hearts that there would be a cry for holiness, that we would not be satisfied with what this world has to offer, that you would by the Spirit quicken us and cause us to cry out for righteousness. Lord, come. By the power of your Spirit, Lord, come. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Jesus had been teaching his 12 disciples, and then they moved on to the different towns in Galilee. Jesus was preaching there, and John heard about what they were doing. John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, an Old Testament prophet, an eye for an eye kind of man. An Old Testament prophet that believed that you took the sword and you defeated the enemy and you established the kingdom of God. And he expected Jesus to come as the son of God and defeat the Romans and establish once and for all the kingdom of almighty God on the earth. He expected that this man had the power to defeat the Roman armies. And when he hears what Jesus is doing, he's imprisoned. I suspect Jesus knew he had to be imprisoned or he would have taken the sword and tried to establish the kingdom when he saw that Jesus was not doing that. And so a man came, sent by John, asking the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus was not meeting their expectations. How many times has Jesus not met your expectations? And instead has allowed you to suffer. I need to preach a sermon soon on the power of suffering. Suffering is what brings forth righteousness in the heart of a man. It means that God is not going to do in us what we expect him to do. When the job doesn't work, the housing isn't there. When the money is short, I'll tell you what it makes me do. It makes me get on my face before Almighty God and say, this is not what I expected. Now, do you want to do something here or am I just to suffer in this? I want your will to be accomplished here, not my will. It's obvious that your will and my will are at variance. I'm not a masochist. I don't enjoy suffering. I don't enjoy lack. I believe God wants all of us to prosper and be well. 
I believe that's what he wants for us. But he's not going to just bring us there without first taking us through the Garden of Gethsemane and having the crushing stone lowered on us. I'd like that to be just for a day. Usually it's not just a day. Usually it's a year or two years. In my case, as I've waited before him, it's been 40 years of waiting on God to come with revival in America. Until finally I've gone before the Lord and said, Lord, am I going to die before you come? Many men better than I am have died waiting for revival to come in America. David Wilkerson was one of those. And many others. All of their life they cried out, Oh God, pour out your spirit. They were assured he would. They died waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. So am I to grow impatient having just waited for 40 years? Moses waited 40 years. He was certainly a better man than I am. So am I to wait 60 years? 70 years? I pray not. Revival is now. That's my cry to God. Jesus, now people are dropping over the edge into hell. Lord, send revival now. But he usually doesn't do it the way I ask. Doesn't work the way I think it should. This man, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, it wasn't working the way he thought it should work. And so Jesus speaks to him, to his disciple. Go back and report to John what you hear. This is Matthew, the 11th chapter. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Do you notice what's missing in this description? It does not say and the Roman soldiers are being destroyed. And great victories are being won and Rome is threatened. And we will soon have Caesar executed. Doesn't say that. Instead it says, go back and report the blind receive the sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Why aren't the dead soldiers of Israel being raised? John is not a happy camper. He's imprisoned. He can't do anything now. He has prepared the way for Jesus. And Jesus is not acting according to what he thinks should happen. And Jesus answered, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed are you when things don't go your way, that you don't get an attitude and walk away from Jesus. My sister Judy called me a number of times and said, Pastor, I'm thinking I should just leave this job. Now, I don't know if she was waiting for me to agree with her and somehow give her permission to leave the job. That's not my job. 
My job was to say, go to Jesus and wait on him and do what he says. And she said, well, in my spirit, I'm not feeling I should leave. Then why are you talking about leaving? Do what Jesus says. But you see, when things aren't working out the way we think they should work out, Jesus is saying, don't fall away on account of me because I'm not doing what you think I ought to be doing. Now, some of you today are quite angry with the Lord Jesus because you're in a situation where things are not looking very good for you and you're a bit embarrassed. Praise Jesus for the gift of suffering in your life and in my life. It forces me into the prayer closet and it forces me to humble my heart before him. It forces me, and this morning in the early hours, I was on my face before God saying, Oh God, what do you want me to say this week on the radio? I can't go and just say what I think I want to say. It has to be His Word. I'd like to go on the radio this week And I'd like to talk about what I think of our current presidential candidates. It would not be pretty. Jesus will not let me go on the radio and talk about one of them. Instead, he wants me to go on the radio and talk about him. Well, he's not the hot news. He seems to be very absent. Well, talk about why I'm very absent, Ray. Oh, okay. See, we don't get to walk through this world having our way and our will. Every one of you in this room has committed yourself to following Jesus Christ. Now, don't fall away when he doesn't make it work the way you think it should work. Now, the disciples are listening. And Jesus begins to speak to the whole crowd about John. He said, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. John did that. He prepared the way for the Lord, just not the way John expected to. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there's not risen another one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you understand? A transition was happening. You don't know today what transition is happening in your life. And it may look like everything is dead and it's not going the way you think it should go. But there is a transition happening today in your life. Will you wait on the Lord for the transition that he is bringing to pass? Even if you'd like to turn away.
from him or his church because it's not going the way you think it should go. Sometimes we are so utterly full of ourselves that when we are suffering, we think that the whole world should know about our suffering. And we're shocked that the whole world doesn't know how bad we feel about what's happening. You know, you drop something on your toe. And your toe begins to swell. And you begin to hobble. And your whole body has only one concern. And that is your hurting toe. And soon everybody around you knows how badly your toe is hurting. And you get great sympathy. Jesus doesn't work that way. He's not going to focus on your sore toe. He's going to focus on building his kingdom. And he calls us away from the small suffering he calls us to and says, look, will you focus on what I want you to be about? Building the kingdom of God. Now, as hard as it is, let's get our attention off our sore toes. Do you have one? I do. We all do. We all have points of pain in our heart because Jesus has not done it the way we thought he ought to do it. He's saying, watch, I'm in a transition with you in your life. And I'm going to bring to pass what I desire in your life. Are you willing for me to bring about in your life what I desire? Even though it does not match what you think ought to be happening. He says, I tell you the truth. This is verse 11. Among those born of women, there's not risen another greater. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. That word forceful in the Greek is actually passionate. Passionate men have been grabbing hold of the kingdom of God. The reason we have so little passion for what Jesus wants is because it varies so much from what we want. But if we can finally begin to see what Jesus wants and the fantastic transition he is making right now. Do you understand? We are transitioning from the church age into eternity. The globalization of the world is happening even as we're sitting here. We are watching the transition to the rule of Antichrist. Prophecy is finally being fulfilled and what we've hoped for from the time I was just a small child is actually taking place before our eyes. We are in a fantastic transition from the church age into eternity. We will see it in our life. 
Jesus is coming again. Everything is in transition. But if our attention is just on our sorto, on whatever brings us pain in our heart, we're going to miss the transition that Jesus is bringing as he transitions a whole new age, the age of the kingdom of God. Now's the time for us not to focus on our own issues, but instead to focus on what Jesus is trying to bring to pass. And there is going to be a great in-harvesting of men and women at the very end of the church age. That's promised. Matthew 24. Where there will be a final great proclamation of the truth. But it means we're going to have to forget about ourselves. The transition that is occurring now is greater than the transition that occurred between the Old and the New Testament. This is the final culmination of all that the human heart has desired. This is the culmination. Angels long to look into this. Angels have been waiting for this transition, wondering how is it going to take place. We're on the verge of eternity. Is it going to work the way we want it to work? Nope. Is it going to happen? Yes. Not by might and not by power, but by my spirit. Personal agendas have to be laid down. Personal pain has to be laid down. We are at the great transition place of all of human history when finally the prison planet will be utterly set free. The judgment will be set. And God's people will rule for eternity with him. And while he's bringing this transition to pass, we're mad because things aren't working out the way we want them to work out in our lives. We're upset that we're suffering a little. As this transition takes place, we're going to finally come to a position where we say, if I'd only known what was going on. See, the children of Israel, they're in Egypt, they're in bondage. Moses has come into camp, and Moses has said, look, the time of your deliverance has come. I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to take you to a promised land. I'm going to take you to the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. And the people said, that's fantastic. Let's go. And Caesar says, wait a minute. No more straw for your bricks. You're lazy. And the next day he's beating them because they're not performing the way Pharaoh wants them to perform. And they all say to Moses, Leave us alone in our misery. You're making our lives intolerable. And then the plagues begin to fall, and the plagues fall on the children of Israel and on the Egyptians. Why? Because God had to make them so miserable 
that they would want to get out of town. And when he finally accomplishes that, the plagues now only fall on Egypt. What does God have to do in your life to make you so miserable that you're ready to get out of town and get to heaven? Americans are so comfortable, fat and happy. Why would we want to leave? We've got a good life. I hear some, I hear some people say, I don't want Jesus to come now. I want to do this first. I want to do that first. Are you kidding me? The pressure is being upped. America is beginning to break apart. Race riots are on the horizon. The rich against the poor. The Hispanic against the black. The black against everybody's against everybody. But the Christians, they've got to get ready to get out of here. And to take as many with us as we can. To grab them left and right and say, come with me. We're on our way to heaven. Jesus turns to the people. Verse 16, and he says, To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say here he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by our actions. Then Jesus begins to denounce these cities where all of these miracles have taken place. Capernaum. Do you know what's left of Capernaum today? A few stones. Dirt. Capernaum on today. It's been judged by God. The miracles of God were done there, and they did not repent. Bethsaida. Sidon. Tyre, if they'd seen the miracles, the Gentiles would have repented. But you who call yourself my people, you did not repent. And then he goes on. I praise you, Father, verse 25, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. I've noticed a strange thing. Princeton University was established to train pastors and workers in gospel ministry. Jonathan Edwards was actually functioning as president of Princeton University. If you go to that campus today, you will see a beautiful library. You'll see placards. You'll see him honored above all others. But his theology is scorned. 
no one would say today that Princeton is for the training of ministry. Oxford University was founded to train pastors, Christian workers. Charles Finney went to a university in Ohio to establish it. It's now one of the most liberal campuses in America. There seems to be a correlation between higher learning and stupidity. There seems to be a correlation between gaining much knowledge with losing all knowledge. Jesus is saying thank you for not revealing these things to the highly educated, to those who think they are wise in themselves. I'm not against higher education. I have a graduate degree. But I have to tell you, the university I graduated from has become a progressive liberal campus. And the seminary I went to is now a liberal progressive seminary. And I am grieved by it. Jesus said, all things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Will Jesus choose to reveal himself to you? He will if you will humbly come to him and consecrate yourself to him And not say, you must do it my way. If you will come to him and humble your heart before him. And say, Jesus, I don't know how this should work. I'm willing to suffer until you accomplish all that you desire. Give me the power to suffer humility before you. It crushes the pride of our heart. We must come to a place in our walk where we give up the desire or the need to be someone important. I was trained from a very early age. Raymond, there is only one thing. No one ever said it. I just got it. There's only one thing that's important for you, and that is you be a successful pastor. You be somebody. We have sacrificed to send you to the finest schools. Now you go be successful. It broke my parents' heart when I, when I walked away from their denomination where I had been very successful and humbled my heart and said, Lord, I don't want my way anymore. I have to have your way. Broke their heart. They didn't know how to even talk to me about it. They thought I'd left the truth, quote, unquote. They thought I'd lost my mind. When we walk away from having to be someone great, when we walk away from having to be someone 
that everyone will look to with great respect were then ready to begin to serve Jesus Christ. It's called entire consecration. There must be such a cry that rises up in our heart that says, I must have the gates of righteousness opened before me. I must have holiness. I cannot live without it. I must be right with Jesus until our heart is consumed by that. There was a pastor by the name of Adkins. He cried out to the Lord in the early 1800s. Everyone thought so well of him. Everyone thought he was a great man of God. And he wrote to a friend and he said, if I could only tell you how miserable my soul is. Everyone is saying, what a great preacher I am. I am not. My soul is not at peace. I have not found the rest and the joy of Jesus. I can't work as a pastor. I have to stop preaching. My heart desires Jesus. This man of God walked in such misery for a number of years. And suddenly the Lord came to him. He was endued with such power that everywhere he went, revival broke out. Revival does not break out where I go. Does revival break out where you go? Where you go and you speak to people, do they begin to weep and confess their sin and repent? I don't think that happens in any of your lives. I think we're all in this together. There must arise in our heart a great cry for holiness. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Holiness is not optional. It's mandatory. If I were to come and speak with you one by one, and I were to ask you, Is there any pride in your heart today? Is there any bitterness in your spirit today? Is there any lack of forgiveness for someone in your spirit today? Are you angry with Jesus because he hasn't worked your life out the way you expected him to? Is there any sin in your heart today? I wonder how many of you would say, I'm clean today in Jesus. Can you say that? And if you can say that, what about the character traits? Or do evil thoughts still come into your mind? 
do tempers still flash in your mind and in your heart? Or have you been set free, washed and made whole? It is God's will that we be established on firm ground. And this is the cause then in the old church of great rejoicing, great happiness and celebration and dancing because people suddenly, by the power of the Spirit, the blood of Jesus, knew their sins were wiped away, knew that they were released from every bondage. The joy of the Lord came into their heart and the love of Jesus was poured out with such power in them that all they could do is shout and praise. Preaching had to stop. How I want that to happen at the prayer chapel. How I would love to be overwhelmed by your rejoicing over your freedom in Jesus and I could just sit down or join you. Too many of us look like we suck on lemons. We've got to have Holy Spirit facelifts. We've got to be changed and transformed. Jesus has to have sway in our hearts. Listen. Jesus says, come to me. Verse 28. I shared all of this today for the context to bring us to this precious last three passages of this chapter. Jesus says, come to me. Don't go. Don't leave. Don't walk away from him. He says, come to me. You who are weary and burdened. You who are suffering because things have not worked out the way you thought they should. He says, come to me. And I will give you rest. He could say, I will give you holiness. Holiness and rest are the same. Rest literally means cessation. But the deeper root of this Greek word means Bedroom, staying place, a place you you rest in Jesus. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is, right? It's what the oxen wear to pull the heavy wagon. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Do you see why when we're arrogant, when we're angry, Jesus is not present with us? Because he's not angry, and he's not going to overcome your anger by being angry with you. He's not going to overcome your shouting by his shouting louder. I remember when I had two little girls I was raising, my daughters. They asked me one day, Daddy, why don't you ever shout at us? 
I said, do you notice when I'm really upset with you, I talk much softer? Yes, Daddy. Mama's dangerous when she yells at us. You're dangerous when you get real soft. I said, that's how Jesus is. He doesn't shout at us. The softer the voice of Jesus, the more dangerous Jesus is. Because he's getting ready to do something dramatic in your life. He's saying, I'm humble in heart. I'm gentle. In the Greek, to be gentle means to know when to be angry and when not to be angry. When Jesus is angry, he is still gentle. And it says, you will find rest for your souls. He's saying, you'll find my bedroom. If you'll come to me, you'll find my bedroom. And you can rest. Then he says, for my yoke is easy. That word easy in the Greek, no. If you have Lavender's translation, you'll see it's, for my yoke is useful. We are yoked up with Jesus because it is useful for us to be yoked up with Jesus. And he says, my burden is light. How is that possible? Because he's the big ox and we're the little ox. He's pulling the load. We're walking along getting trained on how to walk with him. He doesn't want us to rub our shoulders raw trying to pull that heavy load. He'll pull the heavy load. He just wants us to walk with him, to submit to him. For my yoke is useful and my burden is light. There's much more I want to share with you, but I won't today. I want you to get this one single point, one steeple. When things don't work out the way you thought they should, don't turn against Jesus. But humble your heart and listen to that still small voice. Mighty Lord, I praise you and I worship you. Very little has worked out in my life the way I thought it should. I never thought I should be pastoring a place called the National Prayer Chapel. I thought I should be on some stage of greatness. Retiring with my friends and having this wonderful life of leisure. <laughs> no, that wasn't your will, Jesus. I never thought Jan should die. 
But here I am alone today as she's been taken to her rest and my work still lays before me. I didn't expect that, Jesus. I didn't expect, Jesus, the anger and bitterness that has arisen out of this gospel of holiness. I did not expect, Jesus, to see your people suffer because they adopted the gospel and said, yes, I will submit to you, Lord Jesus, and I will do it your way. Lord, I didn't think that they would have a bullseye on their back. But Lord, I will not turn away from you because things have not worked out the way I thought they should. Lord, I am yours without any conditions, without any demands, without any accusations, and without any anger. I am yours to be spent as you choose or not to be spent but simply laid on a shelf. Lord, I praise your name today. I worship you. You are the mighty God of heaven. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Thank you for your blood, Jesus, shed on Calvary. Sanctify now your people. And put a cry in our hearts for holiness. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.